0: Oh give me a million dollars, 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 oh give me a million dollars. Nothing. It's not somebody of a different religion, to do this. We just need a prayer. Oh give me a million dollars, oh give me a million dollars, oh give me a million dollars. Nothing. Lord's Prayer. See how people use a prayer shawl in the past. we'll give you a million dollars. I'll give you a million dollars. I'll give you a million dollars. Come on! I gave an extra five dollars in the offering plate last week. Please? Amen? Amen? I jest. We have a lot of false ideas about prayer, don't we? Sometimes the Lord tells us to be repetitious, so we think we need to almost mindedly just keep going, 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 going. So we think, if I have the right form, the right formula, the right posture. And all that misses the privilege of prayer. Misses the beauty and the grace of prayer. Jesus wanted us to understand the basic concepts that we can pray for. And His prayer is recorded twice. But on occasions that are over a year apart... And you'll notice the wording is quite different in our text today than it is in Matthew, which is traditionally what we say in worship. He doesn't want us to become legalists or formalists. He wants us to understand the privilege, what prayer is, and, and that we can pray to God for all things, and it covers the gambit. And so today, our sermon text is the Lord's Prayer, as recorded in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Then he said to him, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Because a friend of mine is on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him the bread because he is a friend. Yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give the good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the gospel of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Christians often get confused as to what prayer is. Ask a Christian, Christians ask, what must I do to have a stronger faith? And lots of times Christians answer, pray, Christian, pray. Prayer is how we talk to God. God strengthens our faith through his word. That's how God talks to us. And we cannot pray to God. Well, we can, but he's not going to answer our prayers if we're unbelievers. Yes, God knows all things, but God assures us he ignores the prayers of unbelievers. Why? Because of their rejection, they reject the blood of Christ. You and I, everything we do, we're sinners. And so God does not hear their prayers because it's tainted with sin. But Jesus Christ died for us. Now think about that because the Lord's prayer begins with our Father. Jesus lived for us, died for us, rose for us, engrafted us to him so that not only are we adopted, but we literally are grafted to him in that mystical union of all believers so that he's not just our adopted father, he truly is our daddy. You cannot pray our father unless you know and trust Jesus Christ not only as your brother, but especially as your savior. We pray boldly to our Heavenly Daddy. And we begin the Lord's Prayer as Jesus taught it, simply by focusing on who we're praying to, our Father who art in Heaven. No other God will do, because all other gods are false. All other gods are mean and demanding. Our Heavenly Daddy loves us and provides for us. Really, after the Lord's Prayer, verses 5-11 through are a commentary on what it means To have God as your heavenly daddy. Children come up to their dad and say, "Uh, Daddy, can I have a popsicle? Daddy, can you repair my bike tire? And daddies are happy to have it happen. God knows all things. He doesn't need us to pray to him. But he wants us to pray to him. Commands us to pray to him. Not only for ourselves, but for others. And this is a heavenly daddy. As Jesus points out, earthly fathers, they don't give their children scorpions and bad things. And we know that God the Father takes everything we ask for in answers according to our good. That's important to remember. When I was a young man, Garth Brooks sang the song, One of God's greatest gifts is unanswered prayers. And whenever I use that as an example, a Garth Brooks fan has to tell me that the point he was making is that God's answer was no. But that song is misleading. God does answer your prayers. He does. There's no prayer you give to the Lord that's unanswered. Sometimes his answer is no. And that was the point to that song. He prayed that he would marry a girl. And God said, no, I got something better for you. In fact, really the point to that song isn't that God said no. The point to that song is God said, I got something better in mind. So sometimes God's answer is no. That's not good for you. That's harmful for you. I know all things. Maybe that's why God doesn't give me a million dollars. Maybe God knows that I would want to invest that in the stock market, invest it towards my children's education and retirement, and suddenly I would be up watching that stock market go up and down all night and wouldn't sleep, and that money would become my God. Maybe God's doing me a tremendous favor by keeping me from suddenly having a million dollars. Sometimes God's answer is, not yet. Just wait, this isn't the time. See, the amazing thing is, is God, our heavenly daddy, rules over all creation, He knows all things. He wants us to pray to Him. And He promises to answer. Sometimes His answer is, in fact, yes. Yes and right now. How amazing is that? I'm a father. We used to live in a small town and saw a lot of tractors and stuff like that. Sometimes I'd have to make a hospital call in the next town over and I would stop at what was essentially a farm and fleet store. And I would buy little tractors, go up to one of the sons and say, pick a hand. Now, guess what? That kid is going to get the tractor even if he picks the wrong hand. Just as a loving dad, I just wanted to take a moment to dote over my child. God knows all things, and it's amazing the things you'll pray for next week. God already put into motion the answers sometimes thousands of years ago. But he still wants you to talk to him because he loves you. So we begin this prayer really in a fulfillment from the first and second commandment. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. First commandment tells us who our God is. No other God's going to do. No other God is powerful. They're all false. Hallowed be your name. Why do we want God's name to be kept holy? Because God's name is written on you, brothers and sisters in Christ. When you were baptized, it was like he took a permanent marker and tattooed it on you. Property of God. The devil won't snatch you from God's hand. God's name represents everything he does for you. Again, just take the name Jesus from the Hebrew Yahshua, which means Savior. God saves you. Christ, from Greek Christos, which was uh, uh, the translation of the Hebrew Messiah, which means anointed. He is the one God anointed to save you. Not you and I. We don't save ourselves. We weren't anointed for that. Jesus. So God's name represents everything God does for you. It's amazing. Holy Spirit means the one who comes and creates faith, comforts you, makes you holy because He gives you faith, creates it in your heart. Jesus, Savior, God, Daddy. And if we mess with His Word, we miss the message of what He does for us. And so clearly, here we're praying, Lord, let me see the reverence and the joy of having Your name written on me. Let me see in Your Word everything You do for me. And let me make sure that your word is taught in truth and purity. We do not want to poison the message. Father, let your name be treated as holy. Let your kingdom come. Keep on giving us day by day our bread, namely what is needed for the day. We live in an affluent society, brothers and sisters in Christ. I got enough food in my freezer, in my cupboard to make it more than one day. It hasn't always been the case in human history. We're praying here for a couple of things. One of my professors told us the story about a little girl who in kindergarten had gone to the school that he was the pastor of. And one day while saying the Lord's Prayer at the dinner table, her father, who was not a believer, said, I don't know why we bother praying to God. It was the sweat of my brow. It was my work that put this food on the table. Through the mouths of children, the little girl looked up and said, Yeah, but Daddy, God keeps you, protects you and gives you the health to do that. Dad stood corrected by his daughter. Dad came suddenly to recognize the grace of God. We're praying in this petition, not only that God provides for our bodily needs, but that we recognize that He does and that He makes us content. I got enough to eat today. I'm content with that. Easier to worry about the things we could do with a million dollars and how much better life would be, right? Give us this day our daily bread. And we're asking for our neighbor. I don't just say me. I don't want my neighbor to starve either. To appreciate God's hand, the eyes of all look to the Lord and he opens up his hand and and to appreciate and see that. And don't forget your daily bread, your daily things, the Greek word that's used, they struggle over because it's the things we need. You don't just need food in your stomach, brothers and sisters in Christ. You need shelter over your head. Oh, yes. And you need companionship. What? What? There was a nunnery, if you will, an orphanage in Mexico, and they had so many babies that were being abandoned there. that The the nuns who worked there, all they could do was they'd start in a line, they'd change one baby's diaper and go to the end of the line, and then they'd start putting bottles in their mouths. And then when they were done, they'd start burping, and then they'd start changing diapers again. And the babies, with nothing wrong with them, were dying. Finally, they got volunteers to come in and just start holding those babies. And the babies stopped dying. Don't kid yourself. No person is an island. You're asking God to provide for all your bodily needs, and that means even your emotional needs with that, and he does. And because he's wrote his name on you and adopted you, you have brothers and sisters in Christ. You're part of a wonderful family. And while we sin against each other, we're part of an invisible family where the blood of Christ removes all sin. There is no sin If you want a perfect relationship with somebody, be thankful that your Savior has made you part of the family of a congregation that gathers together. So we pray, give us this day our daily bread. And then the big one, and forgive us our sins. Indeed, we ourselves keep on forgiving each one who is indebted to us. Now, when we pray this in Mark, the Greek word host can be a comparison. Forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us. That sounds work righteous, doesn't it? Only forgive me to the extent that I'm willing to forgive somebody else. But in Luke, the Greek word gar is explanatory. It's explaining, in fact, I forgive those. We make a promise here. And we also reflect upon the joy of grace. You see, a person can say, I'm going to be forgiven anyway, so I'll harbor my grudge. I'm going to be forgiven, so I'll embrace my sin. No, that's not what a Christian does. Our sins are forgiven and we don't want to sin. Jesus has said in the Sermon on the Mount that if you're going to the temple to make a sacrifice for forgiveness and you realize your brother has something against you, be reconciled with your brother first. As Christians, we recognize when the Holy Spirit is in our heart, we cannot harbor a bitter grudge towards someone. Yes, our sinful nature hurts. But when we recognize by the minute we sin against God, we can never pay for that, and He has removed our sin, we will not wish the condemnation of hell on anybody. So we make a pledge that we will forgive others. We show I am your child, and here's the characteristic. I forgive. Not forgive me depending on how much I forgive others. No, it's forgive me, Lord, and because I'm forgiven, I forgive others. Look, not braggingly, see your Holy Spirit at work in my heart. We have to pray for this, brothers and sisters in Christ, because it's not natural for us. The Greek word that's used here for those who sin against us is indebted. Isn't it easy to harbor a grudge? Oh, you did me wrong and you need to do right. You need to make it up to me. Very hard, very unnatural to say I let it go. Jesus, as he hung on the cross, the very people that he was dying for mocked and rivaled him. The very people who should have supported him mocked him and planned his crucifixion. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Lord, let us recognize the forgiveness of sins and empower us to forgive others. And because we're our children, please notice that you have made this, that we do do this. And do not bring us into temptation. This is where Jesus ends this prayer. In the Matthew, he continues on, but we've covered the basic concepts with this. The devil tempts us. Temptation from the devil is to get you to not trust in God's providence, not trust in his forgiveness, not trust in his grace. He's got to get you to believe something wrong about God because he wants you in hell. God does not tempt us. But you know, God does examine us. What? Look at Abraham. God had told Abraham, I'm going to give you a son and the Savior will be born through him. And to emphasize the importance of this, you're going to have him when your wife and you are in your 90s. And then one day he says, Abraham, you know that kid I told you, you know, you've had Isaac laughter, that that kid that the Messiah is going to come through. He's about 14 times. Go kill him. Go sacrifice him to me. God knew what Abraham was going to do. God knows all things. When God tests us, it's for our benefit. Abraham goes off. When he leaves with Isaac and leaves the servants behind, he says, we'll be back. You see, brothers and sisters in Christ, Abraham understood something. God was going to keep his promise. He was going to have descendants through that kid. So God was going to have to raise him one way or the other. Abraham left the contradiction to God and trusted in him. But... The next thing that's mentioned in Abraham's life is the death of his dear wife, Sarah. God had strengthened Abraham, showed him he trusted in him. He would know, Sarah will rise with me on the last day, because the one who will come through our son Isaac, the Savior. See, when when God tests us, it's for our good. He's showing us where our faith is weak or where our faith is strong for our benefit. But we're asking him, keep the devil away, because neither I or you could stand up to him. Don't let me fall. Well, kid yourself, brothers and sisters in Christ. Every one of us has sins that when the temptation comes along in the right way, we'll fall. So we pray, Lord, don't let that happen. What a wonderful daddy we have that he guides and protects and watches over us. Yes, as I said, the rest of this text is a commentary on what it means to have a daddy. The guy who comes in the middle of the night, doesn't. he's not saying you have to sit there and go, give me a million dollars, give me a million dollars, give me a million dollars, give me a million dollars. A million dollars. What he's saying is, if a person is bold enough to go to their neighbor and be a friend that's not their neighbor's friend, and the neighbor will give them bread just basically because they've been a pain, how much more will your heavenly daddy who loves you, who made you his child, happily answer and give you your needs? I jestingly began this sermon pointing out how the foolish ideas we have about prayer. God has answered my prayer for a million dollars, brothers and sisters in Christ. It's just that the Holy Spirit changed that prayer to the proper prayer. God has given me a wonderful family. God has blessed me with a good spouse. God has given me a wonderful blessing of teaching His grace to you. He's made me pastor of a congregation that has provided a nice home over my head. I don't need a million dollars. I have God, and I have you. Because I have Jesus who has made us brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we pray boldly to our heavenly daddy. Because Jesus has made us his children. Amen. And now, may the grace that transcends all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.